Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy, and joining me today, as ever, is Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, long drive back last night from down in the West Country. How are we feeling? A bit not too tired, I hope. Well, I'm a bit tired, but I think you'd have to ask Sai because he was the one doing the actual driving. I was just getting a nice little ride down back up the M6. Well, Sai, you're back with us, of <laughs> course, Mr. Sai Mikowski. Sai, how are you doing if you had to do all the, the heavy lifting down to Bristol last night? I was uh, I was absolutely fine last night uh, until I got home and realised I didn't have a key to get in. Oh, no. no. So that was, uh, that was disappointing, but... Uh, as you can see, I have made it inside the premises now. So Was okay. it more disappointing for you or for the poor person who had to let you in at God knows what hour? I mean, I'm biased, but I'd say me. <laughs> On to football matters, of course, because it's been quite a good week for Manchester City, of course. Two games, two wins, seven goals, only the one consolation conceded on the weekend City put four past Bournemouth um, as they kind of returned to winning ways Julian Alvarez Erlen Haaland Phil Foden and an on goal getting the job done before Jefferson Lerma whacked one in late on and then last night of course in Bristol City advanced in the FA Cup with 3-0 win over Bristol City Phil Foden again with the goals and then Kevin De Bruyne smashing one in from distance Joe you were at both matches have you kind of noticed maybe a, I wouldn't exactly say transformation or anything from City but it, to me it looks like they're kind of back to what we expect them to do they're just putting teams like this to the side with minimum fuss and they haven't been doing that recently so it's even though it's kind of par for the course it's good to see them back doing what they do best yeah City should be scoring seven goals in these two games and and should be looking fairly comfortable and rotating players and, and that's what they did but because of, for example, the Nottingham Forest trip where they got a draw and just couldn't finish the chances and, and the Leipzig trip where, yes, they they wanted a bit more control rather than going all out for the winner, but it it felt like there was a little bit more that the, the team could give and as soon as they started at Bournemouth, you could see that there was just a little bit more aggression, if you like, the 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 atmosphere threatened to sort of be like it was at Nottingham Forest where the crowd was going to really get on the sort of coattails of the home side doing quite a bit of sort of defensive and putting their bodies in front of things. City scored an early goal both at Bournemouth and at Bristol City and uh, controlled the crowd, controlled the opposition, made the opposition think, right, what are we going to do here? Do we, do we stay with the game plan or do we do we come out? And um, I mean, at, at half-time at Bristol, at Bournemouth, sorry, it was 3-0. It took a little bit longer at Bristol for the uh, for the second and third goals to come, but it was two very controlled performances. And I think we were speaking after the Forest game and saying, yes, City should have won by a lot of goals. The performances we've seen in the last three or four days have been what we should have seen at Nottingham Forest because City were clinical, they uh, took the chances uh, and a lot of good players had a lot of good performances. Yeah, absolutely, Sai. It feels like that cutting edge is just back a bit. As, as Joe rightly points out, the games against RB Leipzig and Forest, and as Guardiola kind of multiple times said to Joe, proving him right in the press conference last week, City were play- they played well in those games. They found Haaland. Haaland was involved. Um, they had plenty of chances. They just weren't taking them, or only took one, and then proved it proved costly when they couldn't kill games off. But in both these matches, both these two long away trips, that's exactly what they did. Bournemouth, especially as Joe mentions, three 0 up by half time, and it was just game over at that point. Yeah, the Bournemouth game felt similar to the um, the Villa game uh, earlier in the month that also felt like a big. 
step forward where they kind of battered them in the first 60 minutes and then made loads of changes and and lost a bit of uh of composure and balance i guess um by making all those changes um bristol was kind of a harder game than bournemouth almost um they certainly troubled city a lot more but at the same time you kind of weren't weren't worried about city like when they've been conceding like to forest it's because they've sort of they've almost been asleep um whereas you know these last two games they've they've just looked more alive to everything um and you know they've they've got a very very happy manager as a result of that yeah absolutely i think it's too early to say yet like is this the turning point is this when the the runs start happening because as you kind of correctly point out we said this after after villa after arsenal and then what do they do after those seemingly kind of turning point matches they then go and drop points and it's now going to be a you know a case of trying to string I don't think as I think me and Joe talked about last week it doesn't really seem this season that a 10, 15, 18 game win streak might not be needed this season just because of how um, inconsistent you know Arsenal have dropped points here and there and now they've got two wins on the spin now but it doesn't feel like it's one of those seasons when it's going to be you know a 98 point lead or whatever so as long as they can get a few wins together they may have a shout especially with Arsenal a few tougher fixtures on the horizon but let's kind of talk about the the star of the show over the last uh, two matches Joe and that is Phil Foden back into um, the team the starting 11 for the first time in quite a while I can't I can't imagine it's the first time he started two games on the spin in quite some time but he certainly delivered in those uh, two goal or three goals in two games unlucky for it not to be four after um, the fourth against Bournemouth was ruled as an own goal in the end but Oh, was that Alvarez actually ignoring me? I just absolutely <laughs> dropped a ball there, but we carry on anyway. Three goals in two games, and he's looking much more like the player we saw earlier this season, of course, over the last two years. Yeah, it's still not a bad record, is it, in, in those those games? And also, if you go back another appearance at Nottingham Forest, he was the one creating so many chances and getting behind his fullback time after time. And he's just been very good since he's he's come back. And I think Guardiola said he's got the confidence back which also tallies with the fact that he's feeling a bit better after his injury and he had that sort of recurring foot injury that appears to have been troubling him a little bit and, and affecting how he was performing. So if, if he's over that and he's 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 been playing very well in the last couple of games, there was a moment at Bristol City where he just controlled a high ball with he just sort of killed it dead but also took it past his defender in the same movement and the whole crowd who were firmly behind Bristol City all just sort of gasped because it was just so good but he, he had his fullback on toast all game and Foden went where, where he wanted the the fullback tried to follow but but couldn't and no he's this is the Foden that, that City want to see and it's interesting because he was playing at Forest and at Bournemouth on the right wing because Jack Grealish has been playing so well and then Grealish gets a rest and, and Foden looks even better back on the left wing where he's been playing sort of at his sort of best in in the in the last season or two so I don't know what, what Guardiola does with that that wing now because you've also got Mahrez who got an assist against uh, Bristol City and has hardly been playing badly on the right so um, having three very good very informed wingers has got to be a, a, a positive problem for, for Guardiola to have if you like Yeah absolutely so si. I mean you know folding there two games but it's it's in the sort of get the opponents not to kind of disrespect Bournemouth or Bristol but it is the sort of sm- 
smaller games where Guardiola does tend to, and as he did, make rotations and whatnot. Is Phone still in this second string, and can he kind of jump more into the first team? You know, we've got two a big week coming up against Newcastle, and then obviously the Champions League back soon as well. Like, it, will Foden get into the team for those sort of fixtures? Um, the more important ones on paper, you know, the tougher games, or is he still behind Mares and Grealish? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because, um, you know, Foden on that form, yeah, I'd say the point about the opposition, but like that touch that Joe just talked about would beat any defender in the world. Um, and when he is on the form that he is on, you think he's too good for anyone. Um, at the same time, Riyad Mahrez got an assist last night and Jack Grealish got an assist. So I was just looking up then since the so since the World Cup, um, between them, they have got 21 goals and assists in 17 appearances. So with Mahrez and Grealish, you get, you're still getting more than a goal a game. Um, so, I mean, there's always big calls around Guardiola's decision-making. Um but, you know, it's a huge call to to leave out one of Grealish or Mahrez when there is that guarantee that you're going to get um, goals and assists. But what a turnaround, like, you know, probably a month ago. Well, Mahrez and Grealish have been the exception, but in most of the positions in the pitch, we've been saying, well, who on earth do you play there? Because nobody's in form. Uh, whereas now you've got, Foden showing himself to be at his exciting best. And you've also got these two guys who have been so, so good and so consistent for the team. So um, very, very bright for City. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine like 21 goals say that. That must be kind of the vast majority of City's goals since the World Cup as well. I don't have the stats to hand, I'd imagine. But it seems like they're involved in pretty much everything City are doing. So, you know, as we've said many times, Guardiola doesn't really like in the big matches changing winning formulas so to speak that often so yeah I think Foden may still have to vie his time somewhat given the form of those ahead of him but as you say good options is better than no options isn't it and uh, one man who's certainly kind of holding down the fort in that attack is Erling Haaland he got back on the score sheet uh, down at Bournemouth Joe and you know it's breaking more records he's now the, scored the most goals in a single Premier League season for City taking that of Sergio Aguero he's now seven or eight away from being the all-time record league scorer regardless of how many games um, there was in a season and as my research kind of found, um, the most the player to score the most goals in a single campaign, regardless of it being Premier League or First Division, uh, for City was way back in 1929 and stands at 38. So I think Haaland's coming from all the records and um, he got a well-deserved rest against Bristol City, one that I'm sure many fans were happy to see. But against Bournemouth, he too was looking that bit more sharper, that bit more involved after the kind of frustrations of Leipzig and uh, Forest. Uh, yes, he uh, he scored a goal again and sort of silenced those, those critics. And he, he's still he, he's whenever he goes on a run without scoring, that run is only two games or three games. And we we spoke, didn't we, about the Forest game? And you know he he should have scored those chances against Leipzig. He just didn't get the the um, the service. But it seemed like there was just a better plan against Bournemouth, and that was helped by putting Julian Alvarez sort of in that role behind him with, with Kevin De Bruyne out and it gave sort of the Bournemouth defenders had to decide whether you follow Alvarez or Haaland but it also meant that when Haaland did hit the bar again this time it was more unlucky it was deflected onto the bar 
Alvarez was in the right place to do it and I think they work quite well together that was probably the best that I've seen those two in that sort of partnership where Alvarez is a bit behind and Alvarez was just sort of popping up in, in the little spaces behind and in turn that gave Haaland a lot more space to sort of manipulate in the, in that defense um and he got he got one goal could have had two um but it was yeah it was a much more promising performance and it, did, I, you know I say that it was probably a similar performance Haaland always does the same thing doesn't he it's just whether he gets the service or not or whether he does finish those chances um and the fact that he's 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 on a goal a game or now more than a goal a game you can't argue with that and we, we said didn't we if, if you offered that at the start of the season you're going to take it and if he continues that he's going to break a lot of records and probably win City a couple of trophies in the process so I think they'd be uh, very happy with how he played at Bournemouth and also happy to give him a rest at Bristol Absolutely not and we we discussed at length that any kind of criticism of City in general and especially Haaland is kind of always got to be taken with a pinch of salt it's just because they are, we're no one saying they're absolutely dreadful when they have two or three bad games but thus their standards are so high the slightest drop seems a bit more um, of a crisis but Sai you've not uh, you know, been on the show last couple of week, um, last couple of episodes now what do you kind of make of Haaland's displays um, against Leipzig and Forest and that kind of debate that comes up again of how involved he is and you know against Leipzig you kind of kind of see on his face at times there was the frustration of the you know he's making the run after run after run and City players are just even not finding him on purpose or just not having the good, good quality of pass into him against Leipzig he went through on one occasion when he was um, slid in by Grealish and no surprise there but he couldn't take that chance it was a bit of a you know he wanted the service in those games but against Forrest as well but when he got the chances he didn't take them and it, they did end up proving costly in those games so again no one's saying Haaland's bad he's got 30 odd goals already it's absolutely ridiculous but it is interesting how this kind of debate still lingers on regardless yeah what what have you made of the debate around um Nobody finding Alvarez's runs last night. Oh wait, there isn't one. Funny that, isn't it? No one, yeah, no one ever, no one's ever bothered if it's Callum Wilson not being found in a run who scored no goals in the last three weeks or whatever and didn't score in a cup final. But Haaland has the temerity not to score in one game, and it's uh, all panic stations. Yeah, yeah, we, we turned to each other in the first half because Alvarez was getting like so frustrated that he kept making these runs and no one would find him. Um, and it was like, well, yeah, at least the, there is consistency in. In the team play, even if there is not consistency in the uh, debate around it, um, it is going to come because Haaland's such a high-profile figure and because he scores so many goals. Um, you know, I think the thing was at Forest, his miss was as bad as his miss in the Community Shield. Um, after the Community Shield, a lot of people laughed at him and said, well, how is this... How's this guy going to adjust to English football? And um, it's gone pretty well for him, you'd have to say. Um, So, you know, anyone who watched the Forest game and has half a brain um, should be able to think that, yeah, he's just going to continue scoring loads of goals, isn't he? Um, And uh, I think Joe was saying at at Bournemouth, there was like a a question on how well Bournemouth did containing him. We got a goal and an assist. Um, so those are the ridiculous standards that Haaland has set whereby only scoring one means that you've done very well as an opposition team Um, yeah I try not to speak about this because it's so boring but um, it's going to go on and on in it 
Yeah, I think it is, and as you know, sadly, we'll have to keep talking unless he literally continues to score in every single game for the rest of the season. Maybe that's it. The, the next game he doesn't score in, we'll have to bring it back up. Sadly, but if he keeps on scoring, we should be okay. But you know, one player is also having a really good season. Of course, was recalled Lewis Joe. He came back in against Bournemouth and and, uh, and Bristol as well. But um, you know, Guardiola full of praise for him after the match, and even kind of suggested he has has a future in midfield. You know, considering he still has high hopes of folding going into midfield one day it looks like City are really set um, for the foreseeable in that department who needs Jude Bellingham but you know it was his first game back in um, for a, f- a few matches now he's kind of taken a back seat while City kind of had um, but kind of got back into form but how did he fit back into it I think he said I think he said himself after the match like took him five minutes to kind of get into the rhythm of it but once you're once you're back in the flow it was kind of second nature you notice that you notice opposition sides pushing him a little bit and trying to exploit that area that he will put inevitably leave behind because he's he's going into sort of the base of midfield but there was one it was for the first goal at, at Bournemouth Lewis sort of steams in with a tackle that he probably had no right to win the defender just runs out of the way because he sees him coming and City start the move and, and go and score the goal and, and from then he was very solid as as he always is and, and City's defensive shape allowed him to be and the fact that he's got players like Diaz now's back and uh, Nathan Ake can sort of swap between the left back and sort of left of a back three role he's got that protection and yeah no he was uh, he was very good uh, in the first half at, at Bournemouth, as as City were were sort of taking control of the game, and then when they made some sort some tactical changes, but also uh, personnel changes after half time, you slowly saw Lewis popping up in attack and and playing further forward, and he was making the run to the byline that uh, was at the heart of the fourth goal that definitely killed the game. His cross was cut out, but it then went to uh, Foden and then Alvarez for for an own goal and. Just later on in the game, he just kept popping up more in that number eight position. And you've got Sergio Gomez came on and played in, in midfield, Maximo Peroni as well. And it was a really inexperienced midfield. And maybe that's why Bournemouth got their chance to get back into the game and create a couple of chances. But it was it was a sort of more deliberate effort to put Lewis into the attack. And, and Guardiola said afterwards that he has the qualities to play as a number eight. I, I don't know if he said number 10, but, uh, you know, he, he was looking at sort of those attacking positions and saying he's he's one of the sort of cleverest players that City have. And he said that again at, at Bristol City, that he touched the ball most in the first half because everyone was passing to him. And he was, he was again, playing more deep and alongside Calvin Phillips probably to give him a bit more protection because Phillips has played less games as his first 90 minutes. But the fact that City players trust him so much to sort of fire these balls in, uh, uh, you know, really sort of pressured situations when you've got three or four opposition players around you, he just keeps on going and going. And I don't think Guardiola's had a bad word to say about him yet, which, you know, he, he often does. There was one point in the game where he, he sort of hooked a, a blind ball forward and it went out of play. And normally you'd expect... Guardiola and a couple of the senior players to have a go at him and you could see Guardiola and De Bruyne were a little bit annoyed but it wasn't at Lewis it was like why did no one give him an option because you know Lewis can play that sort of short ball under pressure the fact that he's had to hook it forward out of play seems to be someone else's fault not Lewis's yeah, I can see Guardiola being a bit like that Gordon Ramsay meme where it's like, oh, to recall Lewis is like, oh, you're so good it's okay, we will get past it and then to anyone else it's just you 
effing donkey, but you know, he's good and he really likes him. But from one player who's played a lot more than we expected this season to another side, and that is Maximo Peroni, in the fact that we didn't think he'd play at all for City this season, but he came on for his debut, got about 20 minutes um, down in Bournemouth. How do you think he did on his uh, surprise debut? Yeah, it looks all right, doesn't he? Um, nice. Nice touch. I think um, Guardiola spoke about him before the Bristol game and said, uh, you know, he's, he's quicker in the head than the legs. Um, and you know, they're not sure that not sure that he'll stay. Uh, all the best people are not sure that he'll stay beyond this season um, with City or whether he'll go out on loan. Um, but they've been really impressed with him in training. Uh, you know, he, he's come fit and willing to work and with a an instant impact and they've you know liked what they've what they've seen from him so um you know he's when you're at a big club like city you've got to take every chance that comes your way and um he he has done that uh with the few he's had so far well we'll bring part one of the podcast to a close there and we'll be back in just a moment to delve into the win over bristol city don't go anywhere Hello everyone and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. This is part two and we'll delve right into uh, the 3-0 win over Bristol and Si. Um, it was a second start for Calvin Phillips uh, down in the West Country. How did he do? It's been obviously been a tough start for him at City, but he's, uh, you know, he got his first start, uh, well, second start I should say, and um, finally looking a bit like he belongs there a little bit. It's quite funny at the beginning of the game, he um, hits the bar within 70 seconds of of kickoff and you're like, right, okay. And then um, from the, you know, the next play, Bristol City just like push him easily aside, knock the ball over Akanji's head and nearly score. And it's like, right, you've you've got something whether they win or lose here tonight. Um, but he, um, yeah, he, he settled and he was very unfussy. Um, you know, Joe's written about it, but he, you know, didn't, didn't really um, create too much attention after those first two minutes. And, you know, Guardiola said all the time about how he likes his um, defensive midfielders not to make any headlines. And Calvin Phillips will make headlines for for a while more until he starts playing more regularly. But um, you'd like to think that uh, last night was kind of the first step on the road, uh, the first proper step on the road to... Um, to him becoming kind of less less of a talking point at City, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been, it's just obviously been a strange situation given he had to go under shoulder surgery and didn't return from the World Cup in the, the best condition after, you know, uh, not being able to, um, he didn't play for a month basically, did he? So it's understandable. But, you know, I thought, uh, Joe, I thought he was quite, Guardiola was quite interesting last week in his press conference ahead of Forrest when he said, like, he'd love to play him more. I mean, he could do it if he wanted to do it so much. But obviously, Rodri is there. He's unshakable. He's, apart from that, uh, was it Tottenham when he had a, seen his, uh, um, had a bit of a wayward game? Otherwise, he's such a linchpin of that side. You know, it's nearly impossible to dislodge him. Um, but I find it quite interesting how he spoke so highly of what Phillips brings to the team. He, he said, I'm important. It basically said, having a good dressing room would be more important than any stats or any any metrics or any technology. 
and Phillips is such a big part of that, which I suppose it's almost like the Fabian Delph role, so maybe Phillips will be the next, the next left-back in the coming weeks and months. I think he should try and perfect his defensive midfield role first before thinking about sort of taking over at left-back. And also, yeah, you can be a, a good sort of character in the dressing room, but you also need to play football at City, and he's clearly a good footballer. And I think he, he was just sort of, as, as we've said, he, he was just sort of good and he just went under the radar at, at Bristol, which is exactly what, what you need and what he probably needed. And the fact that this was his first 90 minutes since last season for club, it shows just how little football he's played. I think his 90 minutes at Bristol City account for 30% of his whole minutes all season, which again highlights he's not played in this system he's when he's come in it's been late on and he's not been able to do stuff I remember in pre-season he was coming on and playing in defence because he had no defenders in, in America so he, 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 I think he's lacked that sort of preparation time and the injuries came at a bad time but the FA Cup games like this away at a championship side he's got plenty of experience in, in the championship he'll know what the atmosphere is all about so he he should have relished this chance and, and he, I think he did and I think the best compliment you can give him is, is the fact that he was just okay and City didn't have to change the system too much to accommodate him yes they brought Bernardo back a little bit after you know Bernardo was way out on the wing helping Phil Foden terrorise his, um, his defender but they did drop him back into defence just for sort of a bit more control to stop the counter-attacks and it worked but I, I think a, a quiet sort of unspectacular performance like this one will, will do him the world of good and he's probably hoping for one of the championship sides in, in the next round just to just to sort of guarantee him another th- another performance something to look forward to and, and aim for and keep the confidence going but it was interesting Guardiola said after the game he did well and also we can rely on him which he's sort of stopped short of saying before so the more he plays the, the better for City that they've got someone not to replace Rodri, but I think his role this season will just just be to give Rodri a rest in, in these cup games. Well, the draw is held on Wednesday, so you, it may well have happened by the time you hear about this and hopefully um, another kind of good opponent for City. And Phillips can get more minutes and someone who's been getting a lot of minutes in the last few weeks, si, and someone you singled out for praise after the game is Ruben Diaz. How kind of important has him been back in the team B? It seems like City are so much more secure now just with a really steady hand. Someone, as Joe says there, they really can just rely on to just do the defensive work right um, and that back four, well, back three, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, it's huge. And I think especially when it becomes a back three rather than a back four, you kind of need even more someone like Diaz to be there and um, hold everything together because everything gets a bit more loose. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, it's quite an interesting one with Diaz because... It's almost like his best qualities are kind of intangible in that he sort of shouts a lot and organises a lot and just has this aura about him that says, nobody is scoring past us today. I'm going to make it personally responsible and you will make me very, very upset and angry if you let anyone past you. Um, obviously, he's great, kind of no-nonsense Um making tackles and interceptions and blocks and he 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 reads the game fantastically well but it but it's that aura about him and that you know kind of celebrating your mini victories in defense that city have kind of missed and when Guardiola was on his happy flowers rant and sort of 
spoke about the lack of characters that they've got. Diaz has just been so important to to restoring that because he he just brings this attitude with him um, that you know that City won't concede, and you know they've not done a very good job of not conceding in the last month. I think that's the first clean sheet in seven, but Diaz kind of has put them on on the right road um and when he plays the whole defense is better for him for him being in the team so you know he he you know i think he lost his place the beginning of this season um and when everyone's fit that's another decision for for guardiola but right now you would think every big game from now until the end of the season you want diaz in the team yeah, I, absolutely. I can see, see no argument there. But, you know, a place where there is a lot of argument being had at late, Joe, is, of course, on that goalkeeper position. And it's one that took an interesting turn on Tuesday, given the fact that Ortega did start the match as expected in the Cup, but picked up a knock and had to be taken off at the break, which I'm sure Edison's detractors would have been loath to see. Um, Edison did come on for the second half, so a clean sheet for both of them. But... This adds an interesting wrinkle to that debate, I think, seeing them both kind of back-to-back. And, of course, Guardiola was finally asked about it. I'm sure that would have put many of uh, the Brian Edison uh, critics um, at ease. And, well, his answer may well not have done, though, because they basically said, I think what we've been saying, like, he's essential to how we play. And that's the reality, I believe, is what Harry said it. And, you know, Edison's been a brilliant keeper, so integral to City's success. And regardless and hopefully Altega's injury isn't serious or anything of course but it doesn't look like he'll be in the team for league and Champions League matches anytime soon yeah it was uh, we didn't really learn anything at uh, at Bristol City we, we might have done if, if Ortega had had a good or bad game but he didn't really do anything good or bad he saved one routine shot he uh, was okay at sort of distributing the ball not great not not terrible and then he he seemed to pick up some sort of injury carried on and then couldn't come out for the second half so we we didn't really learn if if Ortega is this spectacular keeper that some people are saying or or, or he isn't I suppose what you do want from your keeper is just to do the, the basics right and and he did that but um, no depending on how his injury is he's not going to be playing anytime soon in in the league and again his, his, his next and only appearance might be in the in the next round but it, Guardiola seemed amused that that it was even a, a question. He's from from the moment Ortega's come in, he's always been the definite number two, and he will always play in the domestic cup games. And maybe there's a Champions League game where there's sort of less importance on on the result. But no, I think Guardiola was very clear that yeah, Edison is is key to how City plays, important in the build up, and uh, will continue to to be the number one keeper. So I think that's a a reminder that sort of football does exist outside of Twitter as well. Yeah, well, honestly, I was so tempted to ask Guardiola about it last week um, until he went on a 10-minute answer and we all got kind of, the time ran out. But I was like, before thinking about it, I was like really worried that he'd think I thought that Edison was bad and that I'd ask the question, he'd look at me like I'm some dummy and I'd just absolutely crumble like a leaf in autumn. But thankfully, I didn't do it. But maybe Sai will give me the same reaction right now. So I don't know if you've been party to this debate that's been raging amongst certain uh, well, social I, media I, circles. I, I, I was the dummy. I was the oh. one who uh, who asked him about. Oh, wow. did, did, did he give you a scornful look, or was he uh, was he quite uh, um, he, diplomatic? Um, it was. Um, it, it's really hard, isn't it? It's hard to get into what people think. So I sort of phrased it as like 
some fans. <laughs> I do not think this, but some do. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, well, what do you mean by some fans? How many fans? Um, and it and it's difficult, but, you know, as as I said to him, like, more fans than you would think are saying this. Um, and even, you know, I was getting, like, people after the Bournemouth game saying, oh, good performance, but Edison needs to be dropped. You're thinking, what on earth has he done against Bournemouth to to warrant getting... Uh... Didn't serve a volley from about <laughs> eight yards. That was whacked straight at him, like, oh, yeah. powerfully past him. I mean, oh. he, they had Edison to thank for winning 4-1 and not 4-3, I think. Um, and not but, losing to Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Edison is is not really a goalkeeper who saves shots and he's not in the team for that, but it still requires you to kind of um, put sort of some preconceived ideas about goalkeeping and football to one side to be able to be fully at, at peace with that. And um, and also, you know, I don't think it, I don't think that Edison's been great this season. Um, and once you get into that run where you concede in from nearly every first shot on target, it's difficult to come out of it. You know, Claudio Bravo was Pep's big signing um, when he came to City, ousted Joe Hart, who everyone loved, and brought in this guy to play his football. And Bravo, you know, Bravo was unfortunately depicted as a hologram because everything just went straight through him. Um, and he never recovered from that. And Edison was bought after 12 months. So, um, you know, Edison can't afford to to get that reputation. Um, but at the same time, as Guardiola says, like he's done so much. We've all watched them play for the last six years. We know what he does. We know what he's good at. We know what he's not so good at. You know, he, he's never going to save the shots that Alisson saves or David De Gea saves. But have you watched Alisson or David De Gea try and play out from yeah. the back? Because Probably not going to pass it straight to the opposition without Precisely. 10 yards from goal. I'll yeah. give it to Benzema. Um, and, you know, I think Guardiola would say if you are trying to sign a goalkeeper who saves a lot of shots, then you're sort of on to a loser from the beginning because your fundamental point should be you protect your goalkeeper by keeping the ball and attacking the other end. Um, so, I mean, ideally, you get someone that has it all and Ortega has more of it all than any previous number two at City and that's why he's pushing Edison harder than anyone else um but you know he's also made big errors in games this season so there, there isn't the perfect goalkeeper um and you know we'll wait and see on Ortega's injury but perhaps last night has kind of taken the the sting out of that um particular mm -hmm. debate yeah, of course, we wish Ortega all the best. But if it edges closer to Scott Carson getting another game, I think we can all uh, you know, appreciate that silver lining. And speaking of, there was a final one with City's final goal of the game against Bristol. Kevin De Bruyne, a really stunning goal from about 30-odd yards, um, bottom corner. He's had a few difficult few weeks, Joe. He's been finding it kind of hard to really get into games and influence them as much as he used to. I mean, he's still got about 17 assists, so again, any criticism, pinch of salt, etc. and so on. But I think it's fair to say he's not been at his best in recent weeks and but maybe now he's fine. I know he's been ill the last two games as well, of course. Um unused substitute against Barmouth. But this, you know, he looked involved a bit here. I know it's against lower league opposition, but this was kind of feel like a good match to get him into that rhythm again and uh, hopefully approaching his best once more. 
yeah, and Guardiola said he wasn't happy with De Bruyne in the first half. He wasn't aggressive enough. He wasn't getting in the right positions and uh, had a word with him after half time. And he was a lot better and a lot more aggressive. But a poor Kevin De Bruyne in the first half still put a very, very good ball through to, to Riyad Mahrez for, for City's opening goal and just broke the, the defence with one pass. And even if he wasn't at his best, he still strode forward and, and curled that beauty into into the bottom corner. So even when he's he's not playing well, Kevin De Bruyne's getting a, a goal and sort of one of those pre-assists, if you like. And yeah, he's, he, he doesn't seem as untouchable as he was. And maybe that's down to form or other players playing well. And Guardiola's spoken about playing Alvarez in, in that sort of n- number 10 role, if you like, behind the striker, just to get more bodies in the box and sort of floating the idea that De Bruyne can't do everything. Um, but I would say that, yeah, even when he's not at, at his best, he's he's still a very good player and will still be very influential for for City for for the, the rest of the season. And, and they need players like that because... there there were just a few moments where he's just his touch was so much about three or four thoughts ahead of the the Bristol City players and it it emphasised the difference between between the two sides because he wasn't just clearing a ball or passing to a teammate he was he was thinking right what's going to happen in three or four moves down the down the line in 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 this sort of phase of play and is I mean we were speaking about brains and and legs before his brain is is definitely still there and he just needs a bit more rhythm probably to to get back in and he'll probably go on and score very important goals for City uh, later on in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to say. Si. It's it's you know it was some goal as it was, but how, how important is De Bruyne kind of getting back to or at least approaching his best form going to be for City if they are to kind of claw the Premier League off Arsenal or even win the Champions League. He's kind of like the guarantee. Like we were talking about Foden earlier and saying if he is in his best form, he has to play. If De Bruyne is anywhere near his best form, he will play every single big game. And, you know, he dragged them to the the title last year with just an astonishing run of games, really from December right to May. But, you know, especially when things got a bit tight, you know, City need to win at Wolves, all right, De Bruyne is just going to score a, first half hat-trick call with his weaker foot it was like stupidly good things like that um and yeah this season he's looked more kind of off it than he ever has um but like Joe said even when he's not fully on it he still offers so much um and if he can work his way to get back to his best then that is when you would start thinking about those long winning runs for for city or those big knockout wins in the in in the champions league because um you know obviously Haaland is going to have a lot to say in those in those matches but de bruyne is still so so important to kind of how how city tick going forward Absolutely. We'll bring uh, part two of the podcast to a close there. We'll be back in just a moment to look forward to the weekend's game against Newcastle and some exciting developments at the Etihad Stadium. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Before we delve into the, the weekend's fixture, Joe, um, some exciting, as I say, developments uh, coming along at the Etihad Stadium, some uh, intriguing plans in place. Why don't you tell the listeners all about it? 
Yeah, well, City have, before Christmas opened the sort of feasibility studies, if you like, to to expand in the North Stand at the Etihad, and they unveiled some concept sketches this week, which uh, look pretty exciting. It's it's not going to be a case of just adding a third tier like like the other three stands on that that end of the ground. It's it's going to be sort of an expanded. I mean, according to these plans, if they go ahead and if they approve, it would be an expanded second tier around sort of seven thousand ish seats to to take the capacity over over sixty thousand, which would potentially take it towards a sort of second highest uh, capacity in 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 the Premier League. I know Tottenham have sixty two, Arsenal and West Ham have sixty, and I think uh, Liverpool if they if their uh, Anfield Road expansion goes ahead, that's 61. So it'll be on a par with with those stadiums. But it's also going to have, again, if these plans do come to fruition, a sort of integrated new sort of structure on out of the back of the uh, the North Stand with the sort of where the city square area is, more of a covered sort of fan area with, you know, uh, food and drink outlets and hospitality and uh, I think 3,000 fans it will be able to hold and a hotel and a new club shop and, and museum and it'll just make that sort of side of the Etihad a bit more modern, a bit more sort of fit for purpose for, for a whole match day experience and they keep stressing it, they want it to be like a 365 day a year destination and and with the new arena that's being being built at the uh, the bottom of uh, the other side of the tram tracks it it could be quite an exciting uh, development and but it's, you know it take, it'll take 3 years at least and uh, a lot of sort of hurdles to overcome but it it seems like plans are going ahead and now there's these images it it looks quite quite exciting for for city fans yeah absolutely i think as you say that the developments in the city square area really do sound uh, quite intriguing and it's, I think it's similar to what Tottenham wanted to do, wasn't it? Where you don't just go for the match; you go an hour before, you stay for an hour after. You enjoy the uh, the you know, the drinks and the food on offer and have a good time. But I think some fans of other clubs on social media will laugh at this announcement, throw the empty ad jokes about, and question why they're expanding the capacity, even though it isn't full. Uh, that's obviously a stupid view to take, Sai. But why exactly is it so? I, I just think you know, City's. Um, I think they've sold out every Premier League game this season. Um, and Champions League has been more like, you know, 50,000 rather than... I don't think it's been below 50,000 um, from a 55,000 capacity. Um, City have had the potential to expand the North Stand um, for quite a few years now. And... This year, they've decided to do it. Um, you know, I feel like the people who are experts on cities' attendances on social media, like as we well know from the financial reports and the everything else, like City meticulously, City are pretty meticulous about uh, money. I don't think they would be expanding the North Stand if they did not think that the demand was there for it and the. The, the sort of financial incentive was was there for it because they're not a club that just says oh well we're going to lose money off this because no one will come but at least we can say we have a bigger capacity like it, it, it's just nonsense to anyone who is kind of remotely has a business brain um you know people will still say oh it, it, it's the empty hat and you know all the the rest of the the rest of the nonsense but it's not backed up by anything so you know i i think the idea that city would 
decide to expand even though they didn't think they could fill the seats is um, pretty silly. Mm-hmm. And hopefully all those uh, detractors on social media will hear that. I don't know. I'd be surprised if they stumbled across this podcast somehow. But, but they're, they're going to they're the say it anyway, aren't they? So mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, um, but as long as City are happy we, with it, then We ignore those knows. people because they're exactly. idiots. Exactly. Exactly. And speaking of the Etihad, City will finally be back there on Saturday after five games away. They take on Newcastle, Joe. Um, a Newcastle that have just come off the back of a disappointing and quite meek uh, loss in the Carabao Cup final. They are certainly looking... Uh, leggy and tired as the season kind of wears on despite all their unlimited resources they certainly don't have that much in terms of kind of quality backup in that squad um, they'll still be without I presume they'll be uh, was Pope's suspension one game or two games is Pope back? just one Probably game I think to that beforehand. just one game also they will have Nick Pope back um, even though uh, Loris Carius didn't uh, didn't I was going to say, didn't shame himself or anything like that in the final. But they could be without uh, a key midfielder in Bruno Guimaraes, who did go off injured. How, how do you see uh, this game planning out? I think if City had picked a, side, a time to play Newcastle this season, it would be directly after they just lost that cup final. Because I don't know, it, it all seemed like it, it it was going so high for, for Newcastle and then it, it might have just been one step too far emotionally and, and, and physically and the fans will have put a lot of effort into to go into that final and so will the players and then it sort of was a bit of an anti-climax when, when it came to it and, and United were just better on, on, on the day in that, in that cup final so it'll be interesting to see how they respond maybe they'll have a point to prove and, and, uh, and, and see that they, they want to uh, uh, you know bounce back and, and be be quite dangerous and they, they were dangerous at St James's Park weren't they? they they gave City a real a real run for the money and uh, probably would have won on another day um, so it'll be far from easy for City and we I think we can expect Guardiola to, uh, to to praise them to the hilt in his press conference but also you look at them and their form and uh, I mean they've just been beaten by one of the worst Liverpool sides in years City should be sort of doing the same thing to them and, and sort of just picking off their weaknesses and if they've not got Bruno Guimaraes that's a, a boost for City and City are the form team I think of all the times to play Newcastle it's it's this weekend Yeah absolutely so I mean they played early in the season it was quite a thrilling 3-3 draw but I, I think it's clear Newcastle have lost a bit of that early verve they had that was you know was, what's the word? propelled them so far up the table we got there in the end um, they've lost a bit of that that energy they had in the early you know that early season optimism that you say as Joe says they're disappointed coming off of that um, I think they'll, maybe they'll want to go into this match and be like put that game right maybe it'll be the opposite where they've probably not done themselves justice at Wembley let themselves down a little bit maybe they'll come to the Etihad wanting to make that right but I think given the, the direction both teams are going it seems like one that City should kind of win Yeah, I mean, for the first time this season, there are kind of questions about Newcastle because um, they've performed beyond expectations and made the top four and been in the title race, I suppose. Um, and then they've kind of not been playing terrifically well sort of in 2023. Um, but that's kind of been 
masked by well they've they've got through to the cup final and all this for the cup final and then that kind of imploded with Pope's red card and then you know such a I don't think they um, performed to the anywhere near to the best of their ability um, against against United and against a you know a United team that were not invincible. Um, so yeah, I can't think of any worse fixture for Newcastle than Manchester City away this weekend because they've got to pick themselves up from that cup game and show that they are still mean business in the league and can still make the top four and can, you know, put a run together and recover the form that made them so good for so much of the season. And they've got to do it at the Etihad against the City team that are looking, you know, very the the best they've looked for a few months themselves. Um so I, I think it will be uh pretty attritional. Um, and City are really going to have to work. And, you know, if you're Newcastle, you probably take a nil-nil. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be um, really tough for Newcastle if City, say, score early as they have done. It, a lot of eyes will be on them to say, well, what have you got left in the tank? Because it's going to be very easy to make the case that they've not got enough left. Mm-hmm. Joe, I think a lot of the team will pretty much pick itself you'd imagine Haaland, Rodrigue, Grealish all return here but as we kind of touched on earlier in the podcast the debate the biggest kind of one up for debate is Ford and he's played really well in the last two games has he earned a spot in this match you know a league game with obviously much trickier opposition or can you not look past Riyad, uh, Mares and Grealish? I, I genuinely don't know because you look at Foden on at Bristol City and you think yeah he's, he's got to start but then you look at Grealish's record and the you know the stat we mentioned before about how many goals him and Mares are, are contributing it depends what kind of game Guardiola wants he always looks at Grealish and Mares for control doesn't he and Foden's a bit more direct and might offer a bit more risk going forward but again he's he, he looks unplayable in, in the last two or three games he's played so uh, I think that'll be a very interesting selection call. It was quite interesting to see Foden play inside Bernardo at times at Bristol City. So Bernardo was hugging the touchline and Foden was sort of playing in that space between the full-back and, and centre-back, a bit like Grealish and Mahrez did at, at Leipzig. So that might be a way f- to integrate them both, but then you still have to decide, do you drop Grealish or Mahrez and, uh, you know, Bernardo as well? Do you, do you keep that, do you put him back in the, the sort of false left-back position and, I, I I don't know. I think Guardiola has, has a lot of good problems to have. You, I mean, Haaland will come back, but you look at Alvarez, who has played well behind behind Haaland, but maybe less so on his own. So it's his best position when when Haaland is a, sort of alongside him or or just in front of him. Um, it's for for the first time in quite a while. I think the team has a lot of different options of players in form and and options that sort of Guardiola can can sort of experiment with, but also he'll have to leave some informed players out, which he he hasn't done really. The the, the bench has in recent weeks been pretty pretty expected. But now after especially after sort of the progress of, of the, the last week, I think it'll be quite a, a difficult dynamic for, for Guardiola to sort of pinpoint that that eleven for what he wants. What do you reckon, sir? Yeah, it's uh, it's so hard to call, um, and you, you can imagine it fully coming down to um, uh, you know the the specific strengths of the the opposition. Um, you know, you'd imagine it would be Kieran Trippier at right back, 
Um, do you go for Foden to take advantage of the pace if Trippier goes forward? Um, the pace in behind, or do you have Grealish just kind of keep stretching him and keeping keeping pegged back basically um, with with what he offers? So I, I think the the good news for City is that there aren't any bad options. Um, although I'm sure we might be talking about one if if they lose a game, but that's just us being silly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's it, it feels different. It feels like there has been a change at City um, in the last few weeks, and and now you are seeing more players coming into form, and that kind of you know ties in with everything that's been said about the experience of the team, and you know they they know what it takes to win win a title, and but also you know more basic for them as football players, they want to be playing in the biggest games, and the biggest games come around in April and May, so they want to be at their best for. For then, so um, I, I think in the coming weeks we will see more and more areas of the pitch where the selection decisions are harder. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope that change continues, but whether it does or if it does not, we'll be talking about it right here next week on the next episode of the Talkie City podcast. But this brings today's episode to a close, listeners. Thank you all very much for listening. If you'd like to watch this podcast in living colour, of course, you know where to go. It's our YouTube channel, Manchester Evening News Dash Man City. And if you want all our expert analysis and breaking news in the written format, you go over to the Manchester Evening News.co.uk forward slash. Manchester City and follow us on Twitter at Man City MEN and get us over on Facebook at Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. But again, that is the end of today's podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll see you all next week. But until then, it's goodbye for now. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.